And as we turn to the Word, I want you to think about this text. Most of you have heard it before. This is not a new story about the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. But because it's the Word of God, every time we open it, the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate new truths in our hearts and minds is really amazing. So as we come to it, really listen. Lean into the passage. Think about what might have been going on in Mary's heart and mind. How about her husband Joseph? What was taking place inside their own relationship as they were seeking to be obedient to the things the Lord had called them to? So let's stand for the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 1. Lord, give us new ears, fresh ears, as Mark said. These passages are so familiar to us. But we thank you that the power of your spirit can speak to our own hearts. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Before I dive into the text, I want to remind us that a season like Advent the celebration of Christmas is often mixed in terms of emotions. Some are, are celebrating in ways that are brand new. For some, it's their first Christmas to celebrate being a Christian. Others, it's their first uh, Christmas with a new addition to the family. For others, it's the first Christmas with the loss of someone. It's the first Christmas in which uh, a real profound brokenness has been manifest in your life. And so it, it's hard. And that's always going to be the case, this side of heaven. And the reason I start there is because I, I was just reminded this week, as my wife unpacked certain things to set around the house, 
I saw something that I'd given my mom in 1977, a ceramic gift, actually. It was just a box, a ceramic box with a red bow painted by this woman in her neighborhood. And on the bottom of it, it had my name in Xmas 1977. And I remember giving that to her. I remember being so proud of the $5 I spent that took this gift to her and she had it sitting out every Christmas. It's in our home now. My mom has been with the Lord a number of years now, as has my father. And yet in that moment, I was ushered back into my childhood home, my living room, seeing my mother's face when I gave her that gift. And it's very tender, I miss her. Some of you are missing parents, loved ones, grandparents, children, a whole host of things. There's also another form of brokenness that I'm gonna speak about that I want to say from the beginning because I think it can be very tender. And that is for people who long to be married, for people who long to have children. And for whatever reason, the Lord's will right now has been no. That may change, but it's been no. And the pain that you feel is very real and very deep. And he knows, he loves you. He is going to be everything you need. And you, you know that, but that doesn't mean it makes the pain go away. And the reason I want to say that from the beginning is because my heart goes out to you. There's a tenderness there that is very, very real. And I want you to hear that because of what I'm about to talk about from this text, which might seem a little bit unusual. One part won't, but another part might. And I think it's profoundly beautiful. In fact, what's before us right now is beauty and brokenness. And the things that are most beautiful are the most painful when they're broken. And the things that are the deepest in terms of brokenness are the most beautiful when they're redeemed. Okay? So having that framed, I want to talk about two of the most beautiful things we experience as people. And that is a wedding and the birth of a child. I know there can be tremendous pain there too. And we're going to talk about both. Now, this is not a sermon about being married, not to another person. It's deeper than that. But you need to see where this is going to go because it's very, very powerful. Mary is engaged. And she is engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, they're going to get married, but the custom is very, customs are very different than they are today. So I want you to, to think about it for a moment. As a pastor, I have the privilege of being a part of weddings. Some are, are small and some are big. But every time I meet with a couple before they get married, I always tell them what my pastor and wedding coordinator told Christine and me, something will go wrong. I'll never forget when this woman told us that just before the wedding. Mark, you kind of have a control thing going, something will go wrong. I said, what? She goes, I don't know, but it always goes wrong. Something goes wrong. Okay. Now there's a part of me that was like, I'm going to make sure it doesn't. And things were going very well until the minister during the vow said, Mark, do you take Cynthia to be your wife? Now, if you don't know, my wife's name is not Cynthia or Cindy. It's Christina. And thankfully I said, no. <laughs> and he looked at me kind of shocked. And then he realized, oh, Christina. I did a wedding here a number of years ago on Christmas, at Christmas time. And you can imagine how pretty the sanctuary is for a Christmas wedding. And as, we were, as I was doing the wedding, I was standing just about right here. 
the bride to my right, the groom next to her. I looked at the bride's mom and I just enjoyed the journey because this woman and her daughter, they were the two that really took me to task saying, it will be perfect. There, there is nothing that will go wrong. We'll make sure of it. And the team of coordinators they hired really were working hard. And they were humble about the whole thing, but the truth is something always goes wrong. And in this case, everything was going along perfectly until I asked the best man for the rings. This was a black tie optional wedding. All the groomsmen had on gloves. The best man stuck his hand in his pocket with his white glove and pulled out the rings. He opened his hand and there in his palm was the groom's ring but there was no bride's ring. He went back for it, came up, held it out again, just the groom's ring, which I took. And then I saw the bride's ring. It was dangling from a thread on his pinky, just off the glove. He couldn't see it, but he was beginning to be anxious about what was happening. And so he just shook his hand. And the ring went from about right here all the way over to here. And the people had, who had come to see the wedding just went, <gasps> I always tell the wedding party during a wedding that if the ring gets dropped, I will go get it. That way we won't hit heads. And everybody abided. They watched me go over. I picked it up. And the whole congregation just began to shout, Woo! There it is. The wedding proceeded. I leaned into the bride and said, Told you. The wedding band is a sign. It is a significant sign that you belong to another. Weddings are beautiful, but along with them, there can be real pain. There can be the pain of a marriage that seems somehow to have gotten off tracks in a significant way where there just seems to be no hope. There can be broken engagements. There can be the destruction of all sorts of brokenness that causes us, even when we hear this, to wonder, is there any hope? There is great beauty, but there is great brokenness. There are those who come to weddings out of faithfulness to a friend who long to be the bride, and they're not, not yet. And they wonder if they ever will be, and it hurts. But I want to tell you, the hope that you and all of us need for so many reasons is right here in this narrative which is really about a wedding. When you think about Christmas, and you think about Jesus, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Probably his birth. And that's understandable and appropriate. But I want to encourage you to consider thinking about Christmas a little bit differently. Instead of just rushing to the idea that Jesus, our Savior, was born, I want you to think about a wedding. I want you to think about a wedding. Because here in this passage, that's where Luke takes us. You might not see it immediately, but the themes of a wedding and the birth of children is significant in Scripture, and it's right here in the first chapter of Luke. Mary, it tells, Luke tells us, is engaged, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, the custom in those days was very different, and this is what it looks like. If you are... 12 years old or 13 years old and you're a girl, raise your hand. There's probably not many 12 or 13 year olds in here right now, but you are the age that Mary was when her parents said to her, you are going to marry Joseph. Joseph is going to be your husband. The way it worked back then is that the parents made those decisions. 
And once the decision was made, it was a legal binding relationship. And actually it was so strong that they would now be referred to as husband and wife. And the only thing that could break that relationship would be divorce or death. If the husband died, if Joseph had died, Mary would have then been considered a widow. That would have been her standing. That's how significant this culture was. And so Mary, 12 or 13, has been told you're betrothed to Joseph. Joseph will be your husband. But it will be one year before they consummate the marriage. It'll be one year before they have a week-long feast called the wedding feast. And so for that entire year, Mary is going to make sure and maintain a life that is faithful and pure. She is going to prepare to be the bride that she is called to be as a woman of God. Joseph is going to prepare as well, getting his home ready to bring his bride to that place where he truly will then act as her husband and she will act as his wife. That's the way it worked. Now with that, imagine all that's going on in Mary's mind. How will I be the wife Joseph needs me to be? How will I be the husband Mary needs me to be? The normal questions about relationships, about changes in status, all those things are present. Weddings are beautiful. This is going to be a beautiful feast. God is bringing these two people together. But sometimes marriages involve scandal. And here, an angel who has been sent from God, the same angel, Gabriel, that came to Zechariah, is going to speak to Mary. And he does. The first thing the angel Gabriel says to Mary is greetings. It's in verse 20. Eight. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. There's a lot in that sentence. Mary is a young girl betrothed to a man named Joseph. She is preparing to be his wife. She is seeking to be faithful and pure when suddenly this angel shows up. Now what happens is that her response is much like Zechariah's, only different. And here's how it's different. Luke, the physician who is writing this, carried along by the Holy Spirit, does not use the same Greek word to describe Mary's response as he did Zechariah's. He actually uses a more intense verb, verb to describe Mary's response to what Gabriel and his presence was. Her perplexity, her confusion is more intense than Zechariah's was. And yet she is faithful. How will this be? Not how can this be? She truly had this faith, but her confusion was intense. And so the fear that she had was truly overwhelming her. Gabriel, who was sent from God, sees that and speaks into her life. And he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now, this is important. We don't pray to Mary. And we shouldn't. Mary is not deity. Mary is not God. Mary is a woman born with the same sinful condition that you and I have. So when Paul said in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Mary sinned. She had fallen short of the glory of God. The favor that uh, Luke writes about here comes from the Greek word which we use for grace, charis. It means you have favor because of God's grace. You have favor not because 
something that is special, born out of you and your own effort. This is God's will. And God's will is to show you grace, and you are the favored one. Now, that's an incredibly comforting thing for her to hear. She is hearing about the grace of God, unmerited favor. Not, Mary, we scan the entire earth. You're the best woman who's 12 or 13. You're going to be the one. It's unmerited favor, and that's the way God always moves. And so here's Mary, listening, fearful, and then she hears that she has favor. And then the angel says these words, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now just pause for a minute. She's never had relations with a man, not even her husband. That comes at the one-year celebration of the week wedding feast, the week of the feast. He will be great, and we be called, capital S-O-N, Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. She hears those things. She hears those things from this angel who has been sent from God, who's speaking the very words of God. Now imagine what she's thinking. How? How can I conceive? The only way I could conceive is if a miracle took place. This is impossible, and it is. But we hear Gabriel say later, all things are possible with God. Even a womb that can't conceive can conceive if that's God's will. And we see that theme, don't we, from the beginning of Genesis all the way through. So here's Mary. She hears that she is going to conceive. She hears that she will have a son in her womb. She hears that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High because he is God. But what am I going to tell Joseph? And when people have on their calendar the date of this week-long wedding ceremony, and I'm beginning to show before that week, what are they going to say? It's a scandal. And Joseph knows it. And Luke doesn't record this part quite like Matthew, but he seeks to quietly divorce her. It's the only way the legal relationship can be broken. But that's not the will of the Lord. This is serious. This is scary. This is my identity, what my family thinks, our extended family thinks, our friends, our neighbors. They're all going to see that I am pregnant. And they're going to think that we have been unfaithful and ungodly. And then somehow, I've got to explain that I've never had relationships. I'm pregnant because the Holy Spirit overshadowed me. The one that's in my womb is God, man, Jesus, incarnate. How would you like to explain that? Oh, favored one. Unmerited. What happens to Mary? Mary speaks. And she moves from this place of fear to understanding the favor that she has. And she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Luke records that Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And then he says, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, another womb that couldn't conceive, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was is, who is called barren. Then he says, Gabriel, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now listen to Mary's response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She had faith. She had faith that the angel Gabriel, who was sent from God, was giving her the word from God. And what this meant is that the word of God, John 1, capital W, is now going to be inside her. And when she experiences all the pain of bringing a child into the world, the brokenness as a result of the consequence of sin and child labor, all the trouble that she's going to feel, it's because the word of God is inside her. Literally, the word, W, capitalized. How could she do it? Well, this is important. The one true God who could cause a womb that couldn't conceive a child to suddenly conceive Mary's pregnant is the same God who would cause a heart that couldn't beat for him to suddenly beat for him. People believe in Jesus. And so here Mary not only has this child coming who will grow inside her because the Holy Spirit has overshadowed her, the Holy Spirit has overshadowed a heart that could never beat for God that now suddenly does. That has been beating perhaps for a long time, but now in a new sense of wonder and awe, she trusts everything that this angel has said. So much so that in verse 45, we didn't read this, and she's encountering Elizabeth. She said, Elizabeth said, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary went from fear to understanding she had favor, unmerited, to now this deep, incredible faith. All she knew at that time in her life was, I have been pledged in marriage. I am betrothed. I am now a wife already to a husband already. But we won't yet fully know what marriage means for a year. But now something's happened. This angel has intervened. And this angel, in bringing these words, is enabling her to understand that she actually is going to have another husband. And this husband is going to be the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Her spiritual husband is the one that is actually inside of her that she will give birth to. How amazing is that? And the only way she can understand it is that the same Holy Spirit who would overshadow her that she might conceive this child would also overshadow her so that she could believe the craziness of what this angel said. I know you're a virgin, but you will have a child. How will I tell people? That's not what we have written, but we know she had to ask. We don't know what he said, but we know that the work was so great that she believed every word of it. And you know in her heart and mind, she had to continue to come back to all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. So what does it mean for us? When you look at a Christmas tree, or packages, or lights, or an Advent wreath, or anything that points to the wonder of Christmas, I imagine your first focus is on the birth of Jesus. 
He came to earth. Do you notice say things like he came to, to, to live so that he could die for us? He was born on, Easter, on Christmas and we celebrate so that he could die on Good Friday and rise on Easter. We know that. But I want you to go somewhere else. I want you to look at the things of Christmas and say, it's about a wedding. It's about a wedding. It's about a wedding in which the people of God, meaning those who have his favor, those that he calls his own, those who have professed faith in Jesus. It's about a wedding for all who have said, I believe Jesus is the one who's the way, the truth, and life. So that you may know when you pray that prayer, you are betrothed to him. You are engaged to him. And that relationship with Jesus Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit is binding. It is legal. There is nothing that can separate us from that relationship. So once we profess faith in Christ, we have a relationship with him that will last forever. But here's the beauty. We only know something of it in the already. We only know something of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But it's legal. It's called justification. We are in him and cannot be separated from him. Period. Because of his faithfulness, not our own. And so as we pause and give consideration to Mary, who was legally bound, betrothed to Joseph, we too are legally bound if we've professed faith in Christ to him, our groom, or the bride. But only in the already. So what's coming is the not yet. What's coming is a wedding that will be the only perfect wedding ever. And it is a wedding that won't last seven days, but it will last into all eternity. And those who are betrothed to Christ, who are legally justified, connected to him now, will see their bridegroom's face. And what matters most is that you are his. No matter what forms of brokenness you have experienced in this life, this side of heaven, he gives you everything that you need from now to eternity. That's his promise. He never promised to take away the pain. He never promised to give everyone a spouse. He never promised to enable everyone to conceive. He never promised to give people children that would all love the Lord. But he promised to give us himself. He promised to make us his. And that relationship is what this narrative is all about. Jesus Christ is coming to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary because of the favor God showed her, that one day, as he lived that perfect life, he would die that perfect death, becoming the, the legal act that we needed to satisfy the wrath of the Father. And all who profess faith in him have that relationship secure from now until eternity. When you look at a Christmas tree or you sing a Christmas carol that's really a spiritual carol, think about a wedding. Think about the one perfect wedding. Think about the day, Christian, 
when you will see your bridegroom coming for you, knowing that he will always be faithful. This morning, if you find yourself in the sanctuary and you are not sure that you're betrothed to God, to Christ Jesus, you're not sure that you're in relationship with him, I want you to know you can be simply by praying and asking the one true Savior of the world to use this language to overshadow you. The one God who overcame Mary, who overshadowed Mary to give the conception of Jesus is the same God that must overshadow our hearts that are dead and broken, that we might believe the God who is able to create life in a womb that couldn't conceive is able to overshadow our hearts and create life in hearts that would never beat for him. So my friends, if you want to know that you belong to him, that you're engaged to him, that you will never be separated from him, then pray right now that he might be your bridegroom for all eternity. If you need help doing that, Look at the people around you that you sense have already done that and ask them how. Or come and see me or the men and women in the corners of the sanctuary today. We'd love to tell you more about it. And if you have already been engaged, you know that that engagement exists because you have prayed to him and you know you've received him. I want to ask you to do something. Start thinking about the wedding. Start thinking more about the day that you will see him face to face. As you celebrate the birth of Christ, don't celebrate that he's just a baby. Celebrate that he is your perfect bridegroom. Celebrate that he is your lover. Celebrate the fact that he is your king. Celebrate the fact that he upholds this earth he created with just a word of his power. And celebrate this, the same Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary that she might conceive this child is the same exact Holy Spirit that had to overshadow your heart that you might believe. And you know what that's called? Favor. You got that because he loves you. Lord Jesus, I celebrate with all who are engaged to you, betrothed to you, that already we can taste something of the goodness of knowing we're in union with you. And yet, Lord, what will it be like to be in the presence of a God who could cause a virgin to conceive? What will it be like to stand in your presence? Lord Jesus, we know that you're coming for your bride, and when you do, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. So would you give us an appetite to anticipate that day? And if it's your will to call us home before you return, Lord, help us to go towards you with the great confidence that we are bound to you and you will uphold that which is true in you. We ask for this in the strong and perfect name of Jesus. Amen.